Chapter 1 Blood red and night black, chrome flashing like a biker's chains. The big customized pickup rumbles north, headlights sweeping vacant asphalt. At this hour, nearly midnight, the pickup encounters no traffic in Westport, except a semi heading south. The first Tuesday in November, and keenly cold. The sky is as clear as summer. The moon shimmers on the LeMay surface of the Pacific Ocean, gleams on the asphalt seam of Highway 101, the Coast Highway, traces the pale outlines of an angular construction built from the trunks of two alder saplings lying in the bed of the pickup. A five-gallon gasoline can rattles against the tailgate. Westport, Oregon, population 4,207, seat of Taft County, is divided vertically, but not evenly, by Highway 101. On the west side, only a few blocks separate the highway from the beach. On the east lies the mass of the town, sequin lights, pink gold and blue-white, clustering around Chinook Bay, a dark, irregular square that might be a landlocked lake, except for the narrow passage to the sea in the northwest corner. High above the churning waters in that rock-bound passage, a bridge soars on neo-Gothic arches of steel. The red and black pickup rumbles over the bridge, gaining speed, then flashes past rows of restaurants, shops, and tourist traps, all closed except for the Salty Dog Tavern. As the pickup passes the tavern, the twang of country music escaping its open door strikes a brief dissonance with the boom of hard rock from the truck's radio. At the corner where 101 meets Highway 13, the pickup barrels through a red light. Northeast of the corner, the Taft County Courthouse stands square and brick solid. Lights glow in the elections office on the second floor, where the last ballots are being counted. Beyond the courthouse, the pickup swings left, boom-booming along a residential street for three blocks, turns right, and accelerates up North Front Drive with a brassy roar hitting sixty within six blocks. Then abruptly, it shrieks to a stop. A side street strikes east from North Front. Kittawake Drive. The pickup's radio and headlights switch off as it turns and prowls around the curve where Kittawake hooks north toward a dead end. The four houses along the street are tucked into jack pines on a ridge just high enough to give them an ocean view. Three short-term rentals, empty at this time of year. An A-frame with two wings. Kitchen on the north, garage and makeshift dojo on the south. There's a light in the A-frame's loft bedroom. The blood-red and night-black pickup growls at idle. And three men emerge, unload the truck bed, then move like dark leaves blown along a gutter toward the A-frame. Moonlight glances on shaven heads, and on silver swastikas adorning the backs of black leather jackets. The leader carries the gasoline can. The other two pant under the shared weight of a crudely cobbled cross. Chapter 2 In the A-frame's loft bedroom, Neely Jones sleeps, too exhausted by a week of double shifts to be disturbed by the reading light, and for the moment unaware of the midnight moonlight men outside. Neely lies curled on her side, the pillow wadded under her head, 
her bronze skin glossed by the gold reflected from the fur paneling. Her dark hair, cut short and left natural, defines a long, narrow skull and absorbs the light. And under the deep convex curves of her eyelids, a dream plays out in shadows of motion. Next to her, close enough to touch her, Jan Cotto sits propped with pillows against the headboard, his wire-rim glasses slipping down a nose that offers no purchase, while he focuses intently on a slim treatise titled Nidocyst Neurotoxins and Medusae of the Eastern Pacific Rim. He doesn't hear the distant rumble obscured by the constant rush of the surf, but the next sounds are closer, louder. Shouts, echoes of rowdy, abandoned laughter. The sounds seep into a dream Neely will never remember, and she comes abruptly awake, listening.